Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include home builder sentiment, my interview with Richie Mays and Nathan Lee on the best ways for lenders to leverage data, benchmark, and analyze various metrics to achieve profitability, and rates are up as the U.S. economy moves forward. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit richiemay.com. The weather seems to have improved in most places, the Northeast included, and we're approaching travel season. Perhaps the improving weather has influenced home builder sentiment, as have falling lumber prices. Sentiment improved in May, according to the NHB, off the lows of 2022. The National Association of Home Builders Housing Market Index rose to 50 in May, meaning an equal number of builders have a positive view of the market as a negative view of the market. Though the figure beat both expectations and April's reading, the index has been trending under 50 since last August, and fell at record 12 months in a row over the entirety of last year. The housing boom over the past couple of years was mostly in home prices, not in home building. And this report dampens expectations for much new home building leading up to and continuing during the spring season. This report, and the lack of home building in general, suggests that the dire shortage of new home construction is not set to change anytime soon, which is quite a head-scratcher considering the extreme dearth of home inventory for sale. People need a place to live, but perhaps not one to work. The return to the office won't save the office. More people are going to offices more of the time, but offices are still in trouble. U.S. lenders, including banks who own those loans, are being warned that commercial property is the next shoe to drop. Executives and investors fret about the impact of rising rates and empty buildings on the $5.6 trillion market. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back to the show Richie Mays Nathan Lee to talk about the best ways for lenders to leverage data, benchmark, and analyze various metrics to achieve profitability. Mr. Lee has served in a variety of capacities during his almost 20-year tenure at Richie May, including leading the firm's overall practice growth strategy, as well as the firm's national mortgage banking practice. He currently leads Richie May Advisory, the firm's practice dedicated to serving strategy, benchmarking, data analytics, cybersecurity, risk mitigation, and compliance, intelligent automation, technology, and more. He also continues to maintain an active role in the mortgage industry and is a regular contributor to the firm's mortgage banking technical literature. Nathan's experience and his passion for building and serving clients are well known, and I'm pleased to have him back on the podcast again today. Nathan, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while. It has been. It's good to be back, Robbie. Good to visit with you again. Always happy to talk to you. And since you were last on the show it's been over it's been over a year holy smokes a lot has changed out there for lenders a lot has changed and and not really for the better you're speaking with mortgage lenders all day every day what are you hearing it's a challenging time first of all uh, as we all know uh you know and and we know and everybody else knows out there it's certainly a challenging time and, and a lot of companies are just really focused on trying to get back to profitability and um you know trying to deploy any 
any strategy in order to be able to do that. Um, and from our standpoint, as I have conversations with clients every day and others here at the firm do as well, uh, f- for us and for our clients that uh, that are really focused on this and and really being successful when it comes to maintaining or getting back to profitability, it all starts with data. Um, and you know, as a as an accounting and professional services firm, uh, data is is at the foundation of a lot of what we do, if not all of it. And and so as we work with clients, we're really trying to inform um, the advice that we're giving them. We're helping them to inform the decisions they're making by leveraging data uh, that we have available to us across a variety of the things that we do. So we gather up obviously a lot of data uh, in the things that uh, that we do and provide for clients, and uh, and our we're really focused on making sure we can put that in the hands of our clients. So as as I meet with them and as others meet with clients here at the firm, we're bringing data into that discussion, uh, and then we're also trying to put data into their hands uh, so that they have it all the time, so that they have real time peer data. They can see what what their peers are doing. It informs them as to how efficient they are uh, when it comes to cycle times, productivity metrics, uh, margins, and just lots of other information so that they can really pinpoint and identify uh, where those performance gaps are, where they can improve performance, where they can increase efficiency, reduce costs. They can identify where they're a little bit heavy where perhaps they might be light. Uh, and so it just gives them really that ability to, to dig in and not feel like they're flying blind or making decisions uh, on an island, which can feel uh, like is the case for many people out there that are in the situation that we all know they're in right now, which is very difficult. And so really just having that visibility into how the business is performing is really critical so that they can understand the decisions that need to be made to get them where they want to be and where they need to be from a profitability and performance standpoint. So when we talk about this visibility or or people and companies working towards gaining greater visibility and transparency in, in maximizing profitability, what's that path look like? Where does, where does one start? You know, there there are certainly some things that I think separate the better performing companies that that we work with and the others. And and I think I'll I'll highlight a few of them here just to give maybe some tangible uh, things that companies can do right now to get started on that path. Some of them obviously are more challenging to do, but but some of them can be done uh, a little bit quicker. Hopefully, um, but the the better performers uh, typically are very conscious when it comes to costs. They they just always try to operate lean. It's part of who they are. It's sort of fundamental to their um, to their business strategy. They they really aren't out there just always pursuing every new shiny object that um, that appears on the the mortgage shopping shelves and uh, and they're really disciplined about leveraging 
technologies or solutions that are going to produce real results that are going to fit seamlessly within the organization. So they really try to control those costs. You know, another thing that you see with the the better performers is that they they also have just fewer layers of management. Uh, they try to be leaner from a personnel standpoint, from just an, an organizational structure and hierarchy standpoint. And so they they really uh, try to to have a as flat an organization as possible, uh, not as many uh, layers of kind of regional and divisional managers and so on, uh, because that all obviously eats into profitability as um, you know overrides are paid out to to multiple people on every loan that's being produced, and um, and so that that's another way that they're working to reduce costs, or that's another way that successful companies have reduced costs over the years, and and the and also what you see with the better performers is they they just simply execute better. Uh, they're they're able to hold their margins. Uh, they're not giving away um, as many concessions, um, and they're able to deliver into the secondary market and capture a higher margin. And so they're they're making it up both on the revenue side and and on the expense side as they operate more leanly. And so. Uh, you see a lot of companies right now that are really focused on that that capital market strategy and really looking at building out the uh, the list of investors that they're working with, um, not only to improve execution, but also just because of the concerns they have around the banking crisis um, and the counterparty risk that could exist and not wanting to have too many eggs in one basket. And so they're diversifying that risk by by bringing on additional investors, uh, you do still see some companies that are working on getting, you know, agency approvals, um, and and uh, as a way to improve not only the the execution but to also reduce that counterparty risk that they have by relying on on an investor who may or may not decide to remain in the business. Um, and so there's there's a combination of things there that are. That are really driving that, that that better performance for the successful companies. Hopefully, that's at least a few things that they can get started with. But but really using data to underscore and underlie all of that to to drive um, decisioning that's based on data and based on facts and not just um, assumptions or hunches. Well, you started to answer my next question here, and so data is integral as as companies look to maximize execution and minimize cost but based on your analysis what other things do the top performers do you know as i said they they really are focused on um execution uh they 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 are really they key into best execution uh on every single deal every day uh, day in and day out and they really work with their teams to reduce the um, price exceptions, concessions that are given, and um, and and really just try to control that 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 delivery process to ensure that there there aren't delays that would that would then also cause uh, some additional fees or costs to be incurred. And they really try to preserve that margin through the relationships that they have with agencies or investors or others. 
So that that's certainly a key one. Um, you know, from a from a servicing standpoint, uh, you do see that the companies over the last year year and a half that have performed better uh, did. Uh, on a relative basis, have more servicing than the other companies. Uh, and that servicing obviously um, produced some some valuable income uh, over the last year, year and a half. And um, so that was helpful. So having some servicing, I, I know lots of companies have sold servicing in order to generate cash. Um, and uh, And that can obviously be important. Uh, to have cash to ensure that uh, the companies are meeting covenants and, and everything else, but but also focusing on maintaining uh, some servicing, trying to uh, grow that that portfolio, remain in the game, so to speak, from a servicing standpoint, because it does uh, provide some valuable income in times like this. Now that could change. In the future, if uh, the Fed starts to move rates down, if there if a recession really does come here in the near future, and, and rates start to move down, and uh, then obviously that's going to reduce the the value of that servicing, um, you know, which will have a, a negative impact on financial statements, but it'll still be producing cash, and uh, and so there there is benefit to just having that steady stream of cash coming in, um, you know, and so. You know the companies also, uh, as I mentioned, are just very, very focused on uh, productivity metrics and really analyzing um, productivity at the at the processor underwriter level and 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 within other back office fulfillment functions as well, and just making sure that uh, as as volume adjusts uh, because rates because of rate movements lack of purchase inventory or whatever it might be that they're that they're making those those adjustments uh, to staffing uh, more quickly and in, and in more real time uh, to get the the staffing levels um, right uh, given given volume you mentioned rates you mentioned inventory and staffing is as obviously a, a challenge as well but let's let's look at another aspect of today's landscape. A lot of consolidation has recently taken place, uh, and and Richie May knows all about that with their their M and A practice. Are the issues we just talked about driving the decisions to consolidate? Certainly, um, there there have been some situations where sales have taken place where it's just it's a distressed sale, if you will, or or a company is has had some challenges from a financial standpoint, um, that is definitely a driver. But I would actually say that the it's not the primary driver. Um, companies did pretty well in 2020 and 2021. And, um, you know, most owners of mortgage companies um, have the ability to, um, to continue to fund operations, uh, even if that means contributing some, some additional capital or uh, into the business to sustain operations for a period of time. I think what we see as being the probably the bigger drivers of consolidation and uh, sales of mortgage companies, uh, at least in in among the the ranks of the companies that are that are fairly good size out there, have a decent uh, decent kind of volume and 
um, tends to really be just the owners getting to a point where they're ready to hang them up. And it's probably more of a, of a psychological thing than it is just the pure performance of the company uh, in most cases. And, and what you see is just that, that, that drive or that desire to continue entrepreneuring and, and leading and building a business um, just has faded. And uh, it might be because of age, they're approaching retirement age, uh, might be health issues or something else, but they're just getting to a point where they're ready to hang them up. And, uh, and we do have, as, as everyone is well aware, um, a lot of companies that are, that are owned by aging, uh, owners or shareholders. And so that, that probably tends to be the bigger driver. It's more of a, of a psychological, just, Hey, I've been through a lot of these cycles. Um, there's another one that's particularly challenging, but I've been through others, but I just, I, I, I don't know that I'm ready to just continue to fight the fight for another, you know, five, seven, eight years or whatever it might be. And now is a good time for me to, uh, to hang them up and, um, try to, try to move the, the personnel, move the, the loan officers and, and, and back office can support folks over to another platform. That that really seems to be the bigger driver. Midway through this interview, you had mentioned how valuable servicing has been for many of these companies, and that's the the one thing that's keeping a lot of these companies afloat or, or profitable. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last Richie May guest I had on the podcast was Seth Sprague, and he he spoke he spoke very eloquently about that. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to continue in that vein of profitability because that's that's what this is this business is all about at the end of the day, in addition to putting people in homes and, and the great relationships we have with uh, mm-hmm. clients and, and fellow colleagues and that sort of thing. But what can someone listening do right now to get started on this return to profitability? It, it again, just all starts with data. Um, if, if you don't have good data, then you really are flying blind in a lot of ways. And uh, there are some levers that can be pulled. There are as we've talked about here uh, in the interview, uh, whether from an execution standpoint, drive better pricing, better margins, or whether it's on the cost saving, cost reduction side of things, there are levers that that can be pulled. And if a company doesn't have visibility into how they're performing, and in particular, how they're performing against their peers uh, that are that are similar companies doing the same thing that they are doing out there, um, every day, then it's really difficult to make the decisions and understand what needs to be done um, to really get the company back to profitability. There are a lot of things, um, you know, others that we didn't really even touch on uh, during this interview, or or maybe just very briefly. But you know, things like outsourcing and looking at opportunities to, you know, leverage outsourcing as a way to shift fixed costs. The variable, and that can be done across, you know, accounting. That can be done across compliance. Um, you know, companies are outsourcing lots of different functions, and it's a way to variableize those those fixed expenses so that it it uh, it is it is going up and down as volume goes up and down, rather than carrying that fixed expense. Um, you know, even in leaner times, and so, but again. 
there there are levers that can be pulled, but it all starts with data. And if a company doesn't have good, actionable, reliable, timely data, it's very difficult to to understand where those um, where those changes can be made to really drive the performance and and the then the things that really aren't driving significant performance. And you see that out there a lot too. There are a lot of companies that will, uh, in an effort to return to profitability, will deploy the failed strategy of, yeah, I'm just going to go and try to try to get a couple thousand dollars here or a thousand dollars here on this contract or on this service or whatever it might be. And that's not, that's not where it is. And, um, and it's, it's, it's the bigger items, right? It's operating, you know, really lean as an organization, not having the layers of management, focusing on execution, being disciplined about that retained and released strategy when it comes to servicing, outsourcing where appropriate. There's a lot of things, but it, it usually is not, you know, the the easier stuff that maybe people are thinking about all the time. It says, hey, I just need to go to all my vendors and service providers and and uh, try to get a thousand bucks here, a couple thousand dollars there. That's not where it is. Get get the data that is going to tell you how you're performing compared to your peers, and then start making the decisions based on that data to go and adjust how you operate the business. Because that that's where it really is. Data transparency, profitability, well put. And as you said, we could talk all day with with everything that's going on. So. I think that's all the better reason to have you back on sometime soon. Uh, Nathan, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Robbie. Always great to be with you. Mortgage rates rose to the highest level in nearly two months yesterday as prices on the front end of the yield curve were weighed down by better than expected data and long-end yields were pushed up due to Pfizer's $31 billion duration-heavy multi-tranche, fourth largest ever offering of bonds. There were also FDIC sales, $12.5 billion over Monday and yesterday in total, which contributed to the widening of MBS spreads to roughly 315 basis points. Retail sales, which factor into GDP, rose in April despite still high inflation and borrowing costs as slow unemployment and steady wage growth continued to support demand. The 0.4% month-over-month advance in sales would normally be good, but follows larger declines in February and March, which was revised down to negative 0.7%, and doesn't take into account price changes, meaning that on an inflation-adjusted basis, retail sales are actually down year-over-year. Declining sales will eventually be a headwind to economic growth this year. As every lender knows, the inventory of homes for sale has dried up. So, where have the spring home selling seasonals gone? Ask the millions of American homeowners paying 4% or less on their mortgages who are deciding to stay put rather than trade up. One third of housing inventory hitting the market is new construction, compared to historical norms of a little more than 10%. The annual rate of home building currently resides at 980,000, less than half its 2.3 million annual average since 2000. Existing home sales are due out tomorrow morning and are expected to drop to a 4.3 million annualized rate or down 3.2% compared to March, which in turn was down 2.4% compared to February. It's rough out there. After mortgage rates increased last week, even as treasury yields were essentially flat, mortgage applications decreased 5.7% from one week earlier, according to data from MBA. Today also brings 
Housing starts and building permits for April, with markets looking for 1.44 million and 1.46 million compared to 1.42 million and 1.43 million previously and respectively. Later today brings a treasury auction of $15 billion of 20-year bonds, and we begin the day with the two-year back up to 4.07. Agency MBS prices better a few 30 seconds versus Tuesday, and the 10-year yielding 3.52 after closing yesterday at 3.55%. Let's wrap up with not really another joke, but New York stats and some housekeeping. Be careful crossing the street as the yellow cars don't really stop, and if you're hailing a cab, look for yellow tops with the numbers lit up. This means the driver wants a fare as opposed to numbers that aren't lit up, meaning someone's riding in the cab. Once you're in the cab, give the driver a cross street, not an address. 9th and 57th, for example. As if you give them an address, they'll know you're a tourist and will be more likely to take you on a joyride. Or I can personally advocate for uh, getting an electric city bike, which you won't break a sweat and uh, can probably get you around the city a little faster uh, if there's traffic. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, Visit RichieMay.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at RobChrisman.com. Visit RobChrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.